We are in part two of our series here, Opportunity Killers. And I want to say up front that I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm not typically a three steps to success type person or opportunities. Uh, I think, I think if self-help books uh, worked, we wouldn't need any more of them because there's plenty of them. The truth of the matter is, and you, you can read all the self-help books that you want, unless you change your mind about something, it's not going to work. So the Bible does not focus on steps to something. It focuses on changing your mind. All throughout scripture, the mandate to think differently uh, is expressed. The Old Testament was about God revealing himself and, and teaching the Israelites how to think about their circumstance, how to think about him. And in turn, it, it changed the way they operated, changed how they, how they acted, what they did. And then you get to the New Testament, the same thing. Jesus is walking the earth, teaching the disciples how to think. This is, this is what the kingdom is like. Here's how kingdom people think. And then you get to Paul and the epistles, and he's, he continues the thing. And so we're going to look at uh, our second, second Sunday in this thing called Opportunity Killers. And I'm not going to give you three steps to find more opportunities in your life because because here's the issue. <laughs> I'm going to have to be careful because it's early. People could tune out. I could give you three steps to finding opportunities and you'd still find the wrong ones unless you change the way you think. Because you have to differentiate between good opportunities and bad opportunities. Not all opportunities are equal. Amen. I had plenty of opportunities when I was a teenager that were not godly and knew how to take advantage of them. I was killing it and taking advantage of opportunities. But that's not what Paul teaches us. So we're going we're gonna to go back into the book of Colossians. If you're here at the beginning of the year, you know we did a thing called the Supremacy Clause. And Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to the a small church that was dealing with some false teaching coming in and he, he wanted to correct it and put make sure they understood the position Christ should be holding, that he was supreme over everything else. And so we're going to go back and look at that for a second. We're going to correlate it to, uh, to the first commandment that God gives the Israelites in Exodus. So if you could stand to your feet, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go to Exodus chapter 20. So you can find it on the screen, on the Bible app, on the Hope Community Church app, on your analog Bible. Say amen if you're ready. Amen. Berkeley Springs, say amen. amen. <laughs> Some people just went, I'm from Berkeley Springs, I'll say amen when I want to. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Then Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath 
or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to put off all the things that distract us today and focus on you. Lord, that we would elevate our thinking, that it would, that it would place you in your proper spot in our lives. Give you the proper worth. We pray, Lord, that when we do that, you'd open our eyes up to what you have for us. Let us see the way you see. Let the church become all that you've called it to be. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. If you were here last week or you watched online, you know that we started out by reading a quote from C.S. Lewis and then a quote from A.W. Tozer, which seemed to be in exact opposite statements. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote that the most important thing about anybody is what God thinks of them. A.W. Tozer writes, uh, it was published in 1961, A.W. Tozer writes the most important thing about anybody is what they think about God. So I told you last week, I think both of them are right. We started out last week by, by looking into the, what God thinks about us, which is, ex- which is important, amen? Because what happens is we can, we can compile all the things that everybody else thinks about us we can put them on a level that is, that is unhealthy and forget what God thinks about us. So last week we talked about God thinks that you're valuable. Amen? God thinks that you're worth something. He, he loved you so much that he would send Jesus to die for us. That's a, that's a, he's placing value on us. Then we said he, he, he looks at us and we're forgiven. We talked about being able to forgive ourselves. If God looks down on us and sees the righteousness of Christ, we've been forgiven by God through Christ. That when he looks down on us, if we've been forgiven by Christ, then he doesn't see our sins. He sees the goodness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. That's a good thing. Amen? The way God sees us is an important thing. This week we're going to get into how we view God. Now, one of the issues is that God is God has value regardless of the way we view him. Does everybody understand that? So whether you think him highly or lowly, it doesn't affect his actual position. You can't think God into being lower than he is. That's an important thing to understand right now because, because whether you think he exists or don't think he exists or you, where you think you think he's worth it or doesn't think he's worth it doesn't actually make him worth it or not. He is God. Nobody can change his worth. By the way, he was here before the people who actually don't think he's worth anything were able to make the opinion. So by definition, if you exist before the people who are trying to give you, man, that sounds like my kids. No, they're good. They, they love me. With everything that they have. So, but have you ever felt like that as a parent? Like, I was here before you. I'm the one that said you were worth something. So just because humanity puts a value on God doesn't mean that God is 
high or low according to the value that the culture puts on him. I'm going to read to you what Tozer wrote. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. I like it when he says there, we tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Your mental image of God is laying open the opportunities in front of you. So Paul would write, think on things that are above. Set your mind on these things that are above. And then God would carve into stone for Moses and the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Paul is is saying, make God the most high position you could put anything in your life. He's actually, it seems like he's reflecting on the Old Testament in the law where, where it was, you shall not have any other gods before me. And, and Paul says, listen, you've got, you've got to elevate him above everything else. Think on things that are above. I'm going to ask you this morning, who or what is at the top? Now, maybe easy inside of a church building at uh, 10, 18 in the morning. First service had a little bit of trouble with it. They were still asleep. <laughs> Maybe easy to walk in here and say, of course, I'm here at church. Of course, I put God first. Look, I got up. I, I, I got dressed. I mean, come on. It's the weekend. I could be doing a hundred different things now, but I'm in church. Of course, I put him at the top. The, the issue is this. Paul is not arguing that God be at the top for a span of an hour and 15 minutes. You know, we, we can do that. We can, we can come into a church service and ours, ours, we have a clock on the back wall because there's, a, there's another service coming in. So we, can, we know it's about an hour and 15 minutes. And if it's not, then everybody is really mad at me. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, the you know, the buzzers start going off back in the kid's wing and everybody's like, he needs to be done. <laughs> I'm thinking about a whole lot of things up here about who I'm going to make mad if I make one more sentence. It's easy to think like I did my duty. I came in, I put him in, I put him at the top and we sang a few songs and we call it worship and, and, and we, we look into the word and it's a little bit entertaining. And, and so all of a sudden, like, ah, yeah, I put him at the top. Paul is not advocating for a Sunday morning, hour and 15 minutes, think on things that are above. 
That's actually not what he's advocating. He's advocating a a total transformation of your mind. He's fighting the idea in the church in in, in Colossians that that there's there's this false teaching coming into the church saying... Listen, you know, Jesus is great and everything, but there's these other things that are, that are just as important and you need to be thinking about other stuff and, 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 and it's not all Jesus. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You have to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are this earth. He's not saying set your minds on random things above. He's saying on God. Don't let anything else take that spot. Don't let anything else take that position. So it's, it's more than Sunday morning. It's more than just, just like, oh, that was great, man. Zach did a great job this morning, and they were, just sounded so good. And now, you know, I've done my worship for the week, and now I can go back to... I can go back to the thing that I've really put on the, the top spot because I've did the, I did the top thing for the day. It's, it's almost like... If we're not careful, we, it, it's almost like we, um, we can call ourselves worshipers because we show up on Sunday morning. I mean, that, that'd be like going home during football season, watching a football game for two hours and calling yourself a player. Some of you are calling yourself players for other reasons, but that's another sermon. I don't know if I ever preached that one. The... The issue is, is that Paul's not talking about a temporary elevation of position for God. Like, like we can randomly go, okay, God, today you're in the top spot. Now, remember, we're talking in the, in the context of opportunities in our lives. And so, think about the chaos where moving God around and trying to, trying to, look, God, I need to think like this today, but tomorrow, I need to think like this today, but tomorrow, I need to think, like, I'm going to put you in the position when I, when I need it, but then, but then I'm going to just put you right back down when it, everything's going well. The problem is, with most opportunities, you have to be able to see them all the time. They don't just pop up and say, hey, it's right here, it's, it's just laying right in front of you. No, you have to have the ability to see it first. And Tozer writes, our elevation of God causes us to be then drawn towards how, whatever level we put him at. So if we put him somewhere in the middle, that's where our vision is. If we put him at the bottom, if we put him, if we put him at the top, that's where our vision tends to go. That's why he says, look, it's really ironic, isn't it, that, that the most dominating presence in our culture is the thing we hold in our hands, causing our heads to drop. My kids were younger. We used to, if we ever visited a big city, not Hedgesville, but a bigger city, (laughs) Hagerstown. (laughs) I would say, um, I would say, hey, take your headphones out, pick your head up. Take your headphones out and pick your head up. Like, first of all, you might not get hit by a car. That's a thing. But, but there's, there's things going on. There's a whole world around you that if you put your headphones... I just got a set of headphones the other day that are, that are um, noise-canceling. True story. I'm sitting at home yesterday doing some, doing some studying uh, for a class, and I'm on my computer, and I'm, 
and I, I had to text my wife. I said, I've got my new headphones in, and they're noise canceling. When you get home, don't come in and scare me. <laughs> I put these earbuds in, and I turned the noise canceling off, and I could hear nothing. And then I panicked. I was like, what if she walks in the room and is like, hey! <laughs> you don't think about stuff like that? <laughs> so, so I always told the kids, like, take your headphones out. Pick your head up. Because life is not happening here. Life is not happening right here. And by the way, whatever you're getting right here, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's being fed to you by companies that put the stuff on there. And so you're operating. This is the way our culture has been designed to do this now. We're having surgeries because we do this now. And we are walking around in life like this, wondering why there's no more opportunity. Wondering why. We're just walking around, walking around, walking around like this. And everything we see now is through the lens of looking down. When Paul writes to the church of Colossae, he says, lift your head up. Think about things that are above. Not things like this. Think about things that are above. Why? Because, because you're the biggest opportunities you will ever experience in your life not, don't come from down here. They come from here. So i got to think about things that are not just earthly things. Now, I know you can get your Bible on your phone. Just try reading it like this from now on. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with their really. Have we reserved the highest place in our lives for God and God alone? Paul says, get rid of all the earthly things. You've got to separate your mind. If you're going to see the things that God wants you to see, you've got to separate your mind from the earthly things that are here. And, and when you go back to Exodus, you see that there is a very, that God is very specific about it. He said, he said, you will have no other gods but me. No other. No other gods but me. Don't even try it. You're my people. You'll have no other gods. And then he defines it. He says, don't you dare make something. Don't you dare carve something out that looks like something and start worshiping it. Don't, don't, don't you start, don't you grab something from here and elevate it. He, he's specific about, about the positioning of things in our lives. Paul would go on to write, put away all the earthly sexual immorality, impurity, all these things, put them away. And then he gets to this thing he calls covetousness. Which I know you use that word a lot. It's basically saying stop, stop wanting all this stuff. Now, please give me a little grace here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't live a nice life. Don't come back and say, oh, well, Chris told me I couldn't, I couldn't have something nice. No, that's not what I said. I said, the, the level of your desire for the nice thing will determine how far it is elevated in your life. And Paul realized all the way back then that if you covet stuff, it becomes a thing we call idolatry. Remember all the way back to Exodus 20? Don't you dare make something and then worship it. Don't you buy something from Walmart and worship it. It'd be weird anyway. Don't, don't, don't. Don't want something so bad that it does this with God. Don't, don't desire something so bad that it, 
that it supersedes God in your life. Because, because here's the issue. Everything has a level. Everything has a level. We're doing it all the time. Whatever or whoever is at the top will change what you end up seeing. Because everything is at a certain level. Paul says, put to death, therefore, it is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I just said it. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. The expository's Bible commentary says it like this. Greed, greed in quotation marks, suggests a desire to have more. It has a much wider significance than its English equivalent. So the word covetousness, or in some translations greed, when you translate it into English, it doesn't seem as potent. It seems like somebody else is doing it. But the commentator here is saying the original language denotes a ruthless desire for an intense seeking after material things. Included in it, it is an entire disregard of the rights of others. Now, You think, well, that's not, I would never do something like that. I would never. Let somebody jump in front of the line at you at the DMV and we'll see how bad you want the spot. (laughs) Pay $700 for a Disney ticket and let some kid jump in front of you. All disregard for other people's welfare goes out. Hey, Johnny, take him out. He's in our spot. You know, kid, you got to fight for what's right. You ever found yourself in that spot where you wanted something so bad? You would have never labeled it as greed. You would have never labeled it as covetousness, but you wanted it so bad that you were willing to not treat people quite right to get it. It pops up all different kinds of areas. Pops up when we talk to a telemarketer about our credit card. It pops up when we when we don't get the service we think we deserve at a fast food restaurant. By the way, you're at a fast food restaurant. I think your expectations should probably go down. Take the Hope Community shirt off. You're going to raise a fit at McDonald's. Well, this burger isn't, you, you just said at McDonald's, this burger isn't. It isn't a burger to start with. Well, I mean, what are we doing here? But what you find is when it starts stepping into something we want, then there's no limit. If it's what I want, you better get out of the way. We've been taught that. Go for it. Don't let anybody hold you back. Paul's, but Paul's actually saying, no, 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 no. Think on things that are above. Don't covet so much that it turns into an idol. Don't, don't desire things on this earth so much that it, that it supersedes the place of God in your life. And all of a sudden, because you can't raise the value of what you're worshiping. Did you understand that? Watch this. I have a 1973 Ford F100. I really like it. It's got four flat tires right now if anybody wants to help. (laughs) My wife's been asking me to get rid of it since I got it. But um, I like it. It's just sitting in the driveway right now. Me and my son look at it. We're going to fix that thing up one day. 
I got parts for it laying in the garage. We're going to fix that thing up one day. Listen, I could spend 50, by the way, if I spent 50,000, it would be amazing. I could spend $50,000 on it. I could make it unbelievable. I could do the whole thing, paint, motor, drive. I could do the whole thing. And guess what it would still be? 1973 Ford F-100. Not really a valuable vehicle the day it was made. It would still be an old truck. Albeit a nice, a lot nicer old truck than what it was. It would still... There's a demon somewhere over here when he said that. Anyway, um, covetousness is a thing. It doesn't matter how much energy and emotion and time and value I put in that thing. It's still a truck that will one day rot away. One day. One day, 15 generations from now, nobody will remember the time, sweat, and energy I put into that truck. Because it probably will not exist. So what Paul's saying is, the level, don't, don't create an idol out of something here on the earth. Get, don't, don't treat it like that, because it won't last. Don't turn it into an idol. Don't be, don't worship it. Because the level of the things you worship become the level of the opportunities you're drawn to. I'm going to say it like this. You know, why, you know why some of you can't get peace in your life? It's because your level of worship is at the point where what you worship can't offer you peace. The reason you can't get joy in your life is because the thing that you worship can't offer you joy. I'm going to tell you something. Having a pocket full of money, which I like, has never brought me consistent joy. Having all the things I want, which I like, has never brought me peace. Because those things, when I worship them, those things can't offer anything else but what they are. And, And that truck will never be able to offer anything else to me than a truck. Money cannot offer me anything else but only what money can purchase. And if you've lived 30 seconds on the life, you know it can't purchase peace for eternity. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden we keep seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking. I need more peace in my life. I need more peace in my life. And the problem is the level at which we worship keeps us in chaos. We've elevated these things that can't offer us anything else. And Paul is saying, put them all away. Don't let idolatry. Exodus 20, don't worship things that can't offer you anything else. Think on things above. I think I just said it at the opening of the service, in between, at the end of worship. He exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask. Or imagine. He is able. He is able. He is able to do. The issue is nothing else under that is able. And so, so when we, when we put all of our attention and time and energy and emotion into things that aren't able, aren't able 
then that's what we end up receiving. And so the opportunities in life become at the level of what we worship. Okay, I'm at this level down here, worshiping the things of the earth, worshiping what I can get, worshiping what people can give me, worshiping, am I getting what I want, worshiping all this stuff. And you may not call it worship, but the amount of time we spend on it indicates what it is. It really does. So then I see the things that are at that level. Can't see anything else. I just see the things that are down at this level. Church, can I, can I tell you the world needs a church that can see things above where everybody else is looking? We were moving our middle daughter and her husband from Morgantown yesterday. Thank the Lord out of that place. Um, uh, moving her back here, moving them back here. And um, we were having lunch with some friends of theirs that helped load up, load up the furniture. And um, I said, I have a couple rules. I have a couple rules in life if you want to hear them. And they all rolled their eyes, and I went ahead and told them anyway. Because <laughs> that's what you do, right? With people who are in their early 20s. Um, I said, uh, well, I don't get advice from poor people on money. Does that make sense to anybody? Um, I don't get advice about marriage from people who've always had trouble with marriage. Wow. I'm throwing some really high-level advice out here. If the people that are having trouble doing it Go to people for advice who are successful at it. Why? Because they see at a level that you currently can't see. Amen? So I just routed off. I said, I, like, if we're in the same boat, I'm not asking you to how to get out of it. We're all drowning here. We're in the same boat. Hey, what do you think we should do? Paddle. Yeah, I thought about that already. You got any other ideas, genius? So what Paul is asking us to do is think, lift our thoughts up, position God in the place where he rightfully is because he isn't in your boat. God's never been in your boat. Scripture says that he, he's not man. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't, he doesn't rationalize like we do. He doesn't. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Paul writes, think on the things that are above. If you want to open up opportunities in your life, stop worshiping the things that are down here. Put God in his proper place and start thinking above the problem. Start thinking above your current circumstance. Start, start Start honoring and Worshiping the one who sees beyond your circumstance, beyond your grandkids' circumstance, beyond five generations from now circumstances. He sees the beginning from the end, all in between. He's already got it all worked out. So why wouldn't I put him where he deserves to be? Hey, God, I was getting ready to ask this idiot down here what to do, but I think I'll ask you instead. I'm not saying you shouldn't get godly advice. I'm not saying that. But you get, better get it from people who put God in the position where he should be in. We need to stop getting advice from people who worship things down here. 
If you want to talk, if you want to get advice on how to be successful, get advice from somebody who puts God in the right position and is successful. Because anything else could ruin your marriage. There's a whole lot of successful people can't be married. A whole lot of successful people don't know how to raise kids. Because they're worshiping success down here. And success doesn't offer anything but more success. It doesn't, it doesn't offer a good marriage. It doesn't offer great kids. It can't offer all of that. But what happens is when you lift your head up and you see what God offers, you can, you can then couple it all together. I know how to be successful in this and have a good marriage. I know how to be successful in this and have good kids. I know how to be. Why? Because I wasn't paying attention to people that worship down here. I put God in his right place. Okay. I would be remiss if I didn't, if I didn't talk about God's wrath here. Now I know this isn't a great Sunday morning topic, the wrath of God, but it's in the Bible. So get ready. Paul says, put away all these earthly things, sexual immorality and purity. And then he, he goes on idolatry. And he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Man, we've seen movies and depictions of um, what wrath looks like. I can assure you, you don't know. I can assure you, you don't know what the wrath of God looks like yet. Paul is not indicating that the believer should be concerned about the wrath of God. He's not indicating that. What Paul is indicating is that if you are a follower of Christ, then put away these things that people do that are that the wrath of God is coming upon. So he's saying, if you've been, if then you've been raised in Christ, then these things should be not found in you. Amen? That's what he's saying. But he couples it with, don't forget, it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. It's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. Definitive statement. No ambiguity. It's coming. He doesn't say, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of, you know, I don't think it's that bad. Don't worry about it. No, he said, it's because of these things. It's because of, it's because of, just look around in our culture. It's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. But when you look back to Exodus 20, you see, you see God say the same thing. Don't you dare create an idol because I'm a jealous God and I'll visit this thing to the third and fourth generation like I'm not playing around. The wrath of God is coming on sin. You say, well, what's that got to do with an opportunity for me? Okay, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, he has he is saved you, redeemed you, you made a new life in Christ. Then you, then the Bible teaches that we're not subject to the wrath of God. Amen? The issue is, still a lot of people are. You know, I did some uh, reading about missions work in the 20, uh, what are we in the 21st? Are we in the 21st century? The 90s flew by. 
You know, North America um, still has the highest rate of sending out missionaries at about 35% of the missionaries that go around the world are from North America. Do you know the second uh, largest group of people that send missionaries out? They come from Asia, predominantly China. 33% of all missionaries that go out into the world come from Asia. You know, the crazy thing about American culture is we always look at other countries and say, oh, they have their voodoo. They have their, they have their satanic worship services and they have all this, this mythology and, and they have all this stuff in their culture and they, and they have all this and all that and it's satanic and, and you got to be careful and you got to be this and you got to be that and all this. And then you wake up one day in Asia who has all kinds of is sending almost as many missionaries to North America. Hmm, isn't that crazy? I wonder if the church in Asia has less idols than we do. Hmm. Because it seems like they may be taking advantage of more opportunities than we are. Do you know what I find out? You find out that the fastest growing churches in the world are the ones with less opportunity. China, Iran, all these places are grow- is growing so fast they can't keep up with it. The, the gospel is going forward because they have fixed their thoughts on things above. And now they see the opportunities that God has put out in front of them. And they're not consumed by all the idols. In the West, we've had 50 years of idol worship. I know the cell phone hasn't been out 50 years, but it was something before that. Pagers. <laughs> We've had 50 years of full-on idol worship, and the church has stopped looking at opportunities and started going, what can we get for this? And so preaching on Sunday morning has turned more into what can God give you than how can you position God in the right place in your life? What can we get from him? What can we get from him? How can I get, how can I get this? How can I get this? How can, my, how can God make my life more sweet? How can God give me more money? How can God make my husband go away? How can God, how can God do all these things? How can God, how can God, how can God? When Paul doesn't say that, hey, Paul says, why don't you start thinking about God the right way? So all of a sudden, you see churches in other places where they position God in the right place. I'll worship him even if it means I get arrested. Hmm. That's not worship at this level because I ain't going to jail for my 1973 F-100. Ain't going to happen. Stop with the four jokes. I'm not going to jail for that. I'm not going to jail. Can you hear me? I'm not going to jail for my iPhone. I'm not going to jail for a a job. I'm not going to jail for success. I'm not doing it. But all of a sudden, countries around the world, Christians are rising up and saying, we put him, we, we put him in his rightful place and we will suffer for it. So what I'm telling you is before COVID, the average, the the statistics about church in the United States were 85% of churches in the United States were plateaued or declining before. I don't even know what it is now. Post COVID, it, it was devastating. You know what that tells me? It's not that our churches aren't cool enough. It's not that they don't have enough smoke or worship music. It's not all that. It's, it's that the West has, 
has taken everything else and went, more important, more important, more important, more important. And so then we look out at our neighbors, we don't see an opportunity. We don't even think it's an opportunity to tell them that they could avoid the wrath of God. Remember, that's where we started on this topic, the wrath of God. Remember, because of these things, it is coming. In Exodus, if you worship idols, it's coming. And our culture is consumed with it. And the church is sitting back here going, we don't see any opportunities to help. I mean, if somebody could tell us what to do. But if we elevated God into the position where he's, where he deserves to be, then all of a sudden our sight goes up. All of a sudden our peace goes up. All of a sudden our joy goes up. All of a sudden the necessity, the, 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 we've got to do this now goes up because then we understand as holy and righteous and good as he is, there is wrath that is going to deal with sin in the world. And so the church has a grand opportunity now to look at our neighbors and say, Hey, it doesn't have to do, you don't have to do this. There's a finality in this message. Hey, listen, we're not just going to church to make ourselves feel better. This is God who we're talking about. There's an important, there's an opportunity. And what you find out is the West is falling asleep with their idols. We're sleeping. When the churches in other parts of the world are going, no, 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 no. He's God. He deserves our worship. And we've got to tell people the opportunities in front of us to to let other people know that this is real. This is serious. Please don't walk into Walmart next week and go, all y'all are going to hell. (laughs) Pastor Chris told me that Sunday morning, idol worshipers. Don't do that. But what I'm saying is if you worship the things down here, the wrath of God will never be a big deal. Just never will. I don't have time to tell other people how to escape it. I don't have time to tell other people about the love of God. I don't have time to tell everybody else about peace. Because I've got these things down here that have consumed all of my attention. My prayer for the church is that we... um, is that we lift our heads a little bit. We drive through our neighborhoods. We see people the way God sees them. We, a couple weeks, we'll be dropping our kids off to school. We start seeing their friends the way God sees them. We start seeing God opportunities in front of us. That we as individuals, as on a church corporately, we, we put him in the position that he deserves at the top. Lord, today we commit that there will be no other gods before you. Put him down. Listen, you know what the irony is? Hmm. The irony is God doesn't necessarily want you to be poor. This isn't a trade. You're not going, God... I'll put the career down to put you first and then that means you're going to be evicted from your house. Now the beautiful thing is 
that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we elevate him above all other things. Then he said he will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That he's the one that can supplies. He's the one. You still go to work, but then you're then it's like, hey, I'm putting you first. I'm putting you first, and I know you got all the rest of this. I know I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna do the right thing, I'm gonna be nice to everybody, I'm not gonna be a slouch, I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm gonna do the I'm gonna honor you and what I do. But ultimately, I'm not gonna let that be above you. And the beautiful thing is, he takes care of it. So all the fears that we have, like, oh, I can't, I can't. No, no, no. Put him in his right place. Let him open your eyes to what he has in front of you. Trust me, he has opportunities in front of you that you can't imagine right now. And I love for the story of the church to be, hey, we put God in his rightful place. And he did things that we couldn't imagine exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or imagine when I put him in his right, when I gave him the worship he deserved, when I put him in the right spot in my life, number one, I can't even tell you how that changed everything. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. My prayer is that what you would think like this all week. You would just spend an hour at church on Sunday morning, but when you leave, when you wake up in the morning, got it. They keep you in the right spot keep you in the right spot. God, I need to keep you in the right spot. Even when I'm tempted to come down and worship something, they keep you in the right spot. Lord, give us the strength to do that today. Let us put off the things of this earth. Let us put off all the things that tangle us up. Lord, let us put down the things that consume our time and let us put you first. Let us put you first. And Lord, I pray we do it long enough to see the opportunities manifest themselves in our lives. Lord, we're going to put the idols down this week and worship you. Come on, do that this morning.